So this morning I am going to share a word and uh, if you're taking notes, the title of the message is, Is Jesus the Perfect Gift? Now if you like to take notes, you can find notes on um, the website. If you hit the media tab and then Frankston Weekly Message, you'll find some notes there. Now I think someone said it just earlier on that we're seven days from Christmas Day. Who's done all their Christmas shopping? Yeah, what, one, two, about five of us, oh, maybe six. I have to say this year I am the, been the most organised. I think by the 5th of December I had bought every gift and wrapped under my tree. Is that impressive? I'm impressed with myself. <laughs> That's not normally me. Who still needs to start? Who hasn't even started? Oh, <laughs> Sonia, Martin, oh, have you got a strategy? Now you have. I think one of the strategies is that you hit one of those all-night shopping nights, you know, when they go to like three, four o'clock in the morning. You have your list. You've got to have a list. If you don't have a list, it's like you're walking around aimlessly. But it's intense. I feel for you. That's going to be intense, having to start already. And Christmas often can be, you know, someone said it's a silly season. It can be an intense time because usually when it's someone's birthday and we are celebrating the birth of Jesus, so it is his birthday, but usually when you're celebrating someone's birthday, you're only having to buy one gift. But at Christmas time, you find yourself not buying just one gift. You find yourself buying multiple gifts. I I wrote down a little list um, of all the types of presents or people that you might find yourself buying Christmas Uh, presents for. I included kids. So if you've got kids, you're probably most likely going to be buying presents for your kids. Uh, If you're married, you're probably going to be buying a Christmas gift for your spouse or if you've got a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a partner. Uh, Parents, most likely to buy presents for parents and in-laws. Grandchildren, if you've got grandchildren. Siblings, good friends, you might be buying gifts for. Godchildren, your boss, You might like to buy a present for your boss. Yes, (laughs) that's a hint. (laughs) Uh, Work colleagues, you might buy some presents for work colleagues. School teachers, I hear parents buy, you know, the school teacher a present too on behalf of their child. And neighbours, so many different types of people. And I I may have even missed some in that list as well. Um, That's a big list. You could be finding yourself buying more than 20 plus gifts at Christmas time. That's intense. It's almost gift giving on steroids. Um, I, I love the concept of Kris Kringle. Who likes Kris Kringles? Yeah, if you haven't, don't know what Kris Kringle is, usually the way it works is you've been given someone's name or maybe you've pulled it out of a hat and it's usually you're doing it within a family context or maybe work, wherever, and uh, you buy that person a gift to the value of. So rather than buying everybody a gift, you just buy one gift. I finally managed to convince my family this year that to do Kris Kringle. There were some moans and groans because some people wanted to get multiple gifts, but we convinced each other we don't need multiple gifts, we just need one good one. And so we're going to try that out this year. Um, but there's other sorts of Kris Kringles that I've heard where uh, you, and you put all the gifts in a sack and you anonymously pull one gift out. So it's not for a particular person in general. And so that person takes the gift and if they don't like the gift, they can take someone else's gift. 
That's Kris Kringle with a bit of a twist. So this morning I thought we might have some fun. I've got a sack of Kris Kringle presents. But in order to have some fun, I need five volunteers. And the first five volunteers to come out here is going to get a gift. Do I have five volunteers? Who wants to receive a gift this Christmas? Oh, we're a shy bunch. No one likes getting gifts. Oh, thank you. Come on. Yeah, good on you. Yay. We're going to line up here. I need five of you to line up. Oh, Spencer's coming. Cool. Great. Chatty. It's got Spencer. Yep. Okay. So we've got the, the Issa family. Are you counting as one? I need one more person. Come on. Zed, you don't want to get a gift this Christmas? What? Lovely. Great. Okay. So what you're going to do is you're going to pull out a gift and you're going to tell me your name first or tell the congregation. Marcel. Morning. Morning, Marcel. Go for it. And you're going to have to unwrap that gift. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, you've got a hat. Hopefully you like the hat. <laughs> right, now it's your turn. Oh, what have you got? Thanks. Oh. <laughs> You're going to have to show what you've got. An entertaining cookbook. Nice, nice. Hi, what's your name? Noah. Noah. Here you go, Noah. Oh, can you dig deep? Yep. Oh. Oh, what have you got? A trivia box all about movies. Do you like that gift? Do you want her gift? No. Do you want his do you want Marcel's hat? Instead, you want to keep your gift. Okay. Oh, this is all being very, you know, they want their gift. Hi, Spencer. Hi. You want to take a gift? Well, let's hope he finds something he likes. Can you find something? Oh. Now, this is going to be an interesting gift for Spencer. <laughs> Mummy might like the gift. <laughs> what has Spencer found? Maybe Daddy can explain it. Peanut massage ball. So maybe that's good for mummy? Maybe. Spencer, do you want to keep that gift or do you want somebody else's gift? <laughs> He's keeping the gift. He's very well behaved. Okay. There's one more gift in here. A precious gift, small package. Oh, earrings. Well, that's appropriate. Now, do you want to keep that gift or would you rather someone else's gift? I just need one. Oh, you just need one. She's only got one earring, ear hole. Oh, ear pierce. Ear... Oh. Yeah. Okay. God is good. 
God is good. So you're, you're happy with yes. So you don't want anyone else's gift? Well, these are very well-behaved people. They actually like their own gift. When I played this last year in the office, oh my goodness, it was World War III broke out. <laughs> and I think it'll happen again next Thursday. So you're all happy with your gift, Marcel? You were the first one. Do you, do you want to swap? You appreciate it. Well, there, go be blessed. Thank you. You're welcome. Enjoy. <laughs> See you, Spencer. Bit of fun, although they were all very well behaved. You know, in this case, it was actually good that um, hopefully everyone who received a gift, it actually met a, a, a certain need or a desire and they can use the gift. But, you know, often that's not the case because we all have such unique personalities and, and interests. And, you know, I remember last year in our office when we did this Kris Kringle, I opened up a gift and it was full of savoury treats. Now, you probably think, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, all the savoury treats were made with wheat. And for those who don't know me, I, for health reasons, have to eat gluten-free. So I looked at this gift and I went, well, that's no use to me. I'm not going to be able to enjoy that. And I felt a bit jibbed. I felt a bit like I missed out on the Kris Kringle because I couldn't benefit from the actual gift, which got me thinking that gift-giving is actually an art. It's... It's more than just the physical exchange of an object. It's more than just, you know, I've received something. It actually communicates and sends a message. And usually it's a message of love. Gift giving is actually being described as a love language. But you know what? It's not just an art either. It's actually now become a science. There are numerous human uh, behavioural studies on gift giving. So much so that neurological research suggests that we are actually hardwired to receive pleasure from giving. When we receive and give gifts, we're actually affecting many areas of our brain. And so it, over, it overall affects our well-being. Generally, we feel good when we give and we receive a gift. The scripture that we all know so well, it's better to give than to receive, that was actually put to the test. Um, we have some incredible... Uh, institutions such as the Harvard Business Institute and University of California, they ran heaps of different tests to see whether giving gifts is actually better. And this is what they found. They found that giving makes us feel happy. The researchers found that giving gifts lifted the participants' happiness more than spending it on themselves. Now, we shouldn't be surprised by that because the scripture says it is more blessed to give than to receive. Well, the word blessed actually means happy. So we shouldn't be surprised by that uh, finding. Secondly, it found that giving is good for our health. When we give a gift, um, it apparently increases our health benefits in people particularly who have chronic illness, um, including HIV and multiple sclerosis. It actually does uh, good to our health when we give gifts. It also promotes cooperation and social connections. So sociologists have found that when we give gifts, what actually happens is that it, it, we're likely to be rewarded later on. You might have found that, say, for example, you shouted someone out for dinner. Uh, later on the track, someone then, that person then shouts you out for dinner. So it kind of strengthens social connection and social ties and bonds with each other. 
It also found that giving evokes gratitude. So whether you're receiving the gift or um, yeah, if you're receiving the gift, it can actually elicit good feelings of gratitude. And gratitude increases happiness, health and social bonds as well. And I'm really looking forward to particularly next year because we're, we, we've claimed and, and believing for the year of 2017 – 2017 to be a year of thankfulness, that as we start to be grateful, not for everything, but in every situation, as we start to see God at work in our lives, what is providing in the midst of situations, that increases gratitude. That will also increase our health and well-being. And so I'm, I'm really excited to see what happens to us as a church community as we do that next year. And finally, giving is contagious. When we give, we don't only help the immediate recipient. Now, get this. You guys all observed these guys receiving a gift. Apparently, when you observe someone receiving a gift, what that does unconsciously is it spurs you then later on to give a gift to other people who have nothing to do with this. So it has almost like a ripple effect as you give someone else will then give to a whole other group of people. So it's rippling out all these good vibes in our community, uh, which is quite, quite amazing. Of course, on the flip side, there are po- poorly chosen gifts that we may have received that, you know, just lack love, don't they? They send completely the opposite message. I remember years ago, I received a gift um, for my birthday and I opened it up and it was a movie card voucher, a gift card to go to the movies for $50. And I was quite amazed. I thought, my goodness, this person's really blessing me by, you know, the amount that they spent on me. And I also love the movies. So the following week, I was planning to go to the movies and I was taking my friend and I handed over the the voucher uh, to pay for the movie. And then the sales clerk said to me, as they put it through, they said, oh, sorry, this gift card has expired. And I said, expired? I just got it last week. And they said, well, it's expired by two months, so they must have bought it 14 months ago, which made me feel, right, was, I, was that a re-gift? And it just happened to come my way? Yeah, something didn't quite work there. I'm all for re-gifting. I don't mind re-gifting, but you've got to be careful with re-gifting. I know someone who got a gift, a journal, beautiful journal. They opened up the first page and there on the first page was this personal inscription to the person who gave them the gift and they didn't realise it was a personal inscription so they literally had re-gifted a journal that had been given to them not realising there was a personal inscription. So be careful with re-gifting because it might not send the the message of love and thoughtfulness. So are there special ingredients which make up the perfect gift? Well, I did some research this week and came across numerous articles from psychologists, sociologists and otherologists. And as I read all these articles, I saw common threads right through. And I thought this morning that I would put Jesus to the test. Not literally, but just measure up whether the gift of Jesus, because we know that Jesus is the reason for the season, I wanted to see if he is actually the perfect gift, because the Bible clearly describes Jesus as a gift. If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to open to Isaiah 9. Isaiah 
And if you've got it, just yell, got it. Got it. Great. Isaiah 9 verse 6 says, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now that scripture is in the Old Testament. This is before uh, Jesus' birth. So it says quite clearly a son will be given to us. And now we're going to see it in the New Testament. If you're going to flip over to John 3. Another well-known scripture if you've been a Christian for a while. John 3.16 says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So right here, two scriptures, one in the Old and one in the New Testament, clearly tells us that God has given to the world... That means everyone who's lived, everyone who's currently living and everyone who will live, his son as a gift. I want you to just try to imagine trying to give a gift for all people, one gift that could be beneficial for all people. If you think about it, we're all very unique. We all have our own unique personalities and interests. You know, we all come from various backgrounds, social, social backgrounds, economic backgrounds. We all have very different needs. So imagine trying to come up with a gift that would be befitting all of that. I demonstrated through the Kris Kringle, I just tried to imagine what kinds of gifts might be a blessing here. And fortunately for me, they all seem to be blessed by it. But it could have resulted in one of those gifts not being quite right for the person. Um, so finding gifts that suit everybody is quite difficult. And yet the Bible says that God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son. So does Jesus meet every need? Is he the perfect gift? Does he tick all the boxes? Well, let's look at what makes a perfect gift. Firstly, a perfect gift comes from observation. To give the perfect gift, you have to have mastered the art of paying attention to what friends and loved ones say and what their interests are. The gift should reflect knowledge of the one who receives it. In other words, knowledge of their needs, their desires, their tastes and so forth. So people who, you know, always can tend to drop hints, don't you? I'm sure you're around people and they drop hints of what they like and don't like. So if you're paying attention, you, you know that if Joe Bloggs doesn't like gardening, well, you're not going to go get him some gardening gloves for Christmas. That wouldn't be an ideal gift. So what did God observe about the world? He noticed these things about the world. He noticed that people were in slavery to sin and the ongoing effects and weight of sin that it was ultimately leading to death, and I'm going to have scriptures to support these observations behind me. He saw that people were condemned, burdened by the weight of sin, weary and exhausted from shame and guilt, needing forgiveness and true peace of heart and mind. He saw because of sin, people were like orphans, never having a true permanent place of home, being like illegitimate children. 
not knowing their true place of belonging. He saw people being accused, deceived and destroyed by the plans of Satan, the father of this world. He observed that no sacrificial offering of bulls and goats, which was to atone the sins, could take away the reminder of sins. That is, you know, I've done something wrong, well, it's always going to be remembered. Above all, God noticed that people needed a redeemer, a saviour, a healer, an advocate and a friend. He saw the people needed a God that they could actually relate to, not some pie-in-the-sky kind of concept, but someone who was compassionate and understanding of what they were going through, which is why we find in Hebrews 2, verses 17 to 18, this statement being made. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, and it's speaking about Jesus, in order that he might, he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of his people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. God observed all of that, and which is why he then provided Jesus as a gift. The second thing that a perfect gift needs to be, it needs to be planned. Gifts that communicate love are not last-minute gifts. So when you're thinking, oh, I don't know what to get them, I'm going to just get them socks and jocks. Well, it might be something they need, but not much thought's gone into it. Generally, what makes a perfect gift is that thought has been put in and it's been planned out. In other words, time and effort has gone into the gift. When it comes to Jesus... After the fall, God put plan A into place, which was the atonement of sins through the sacrificial system of bulls and goats. The high priest would each year atone for the sins of the people. And this was operating for thousands of years. Until about mm, 6 to 4 BC, God saw that this system wasn't kind of working. And he thought, right, plan A is not working. I'm going to put now plan B into place. I'm going to find a virgin, a, a girl who is um, faithful and has got integrity and I'm going to um, impregnate her by the Holy Spirit and my son is going to be born through that. Sound weird? Often that's the way people think it was ordered, that Jesus was some afterthought, that Jesus was some plan B. Jesus was never a plan B. Jesus was always plan A. God had in his mind before the foundation of this world that Jesus would be the redemption of mankind. I'd like you just to think about that. That before anything was created here on planet Earth, before the world was actually formed, God already foreknew that he was going to send his son 1 Peter 1.20 says, God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but he has now revealed him to you in these last days. God, being omniscient, which means all-knowing, knew that by creating us with a free will, that is the free will to choose whether to walk with God or not to walk with him, whether we would be disobedient or obedient, he foreknew that giving us this free will could potentially cause a crisis. And so in his good planning, he put a good crisis management plan together. Anyone who's created something thinks through the possible things that might go wrong. And this is what God did. 
He thought through the possible things that might go wrong and he put in place the plan of Jesus. You know, the Old Testament contains 353 messianic prophecies that have already been fulfilled which speak about Jesus coming. And they all start way right back to the fall. The first scripture we can find where it's starting to talk about Jesus is Genesis 3.15. It says, I will put hostility between you and the woman. This is God speaking to um, the serpent. So he's speaking to the serpent and says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So this scripture is actually talking about Christ being the offspring of a woman and that there would be a great hostility between the serpent's offspring, Satan's offspring, and Christ's offspring. And that Christ will ultimately strike or crush the head of the serpent, which is his authority, and Christ's heel will be striked, which we know to happen on the cross. Four scriptures actually see the fulfilment of this scripture. And I'm just only going to read one of them to you, which is Hebrews 2. It said, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You know, you can read all the way through the Old Testament scriptures prophesying about Jesus. Uh, I love Isaiah 7.14 where it says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. I remember as a new Christian when I started to see all these Old Testament prophecies speaking about Jesus and what he would come to do and what he would be like and then seeing it in the New Testament, I was completely wowed. It cemented my faith that, that Jesus just didn't uh, come ad hoc. It was always planned. It was always planned. God planned the time he would be born, the parents he would have, the town he would grow up in, the ministry he would have, and ultimately his death and his resurrection. Jesus wasn't some last-minute idea. He was perfectly planned. Thirdly is a perfect gift calls on the giver to make a sacrifice. Now, sacrifice doesn't mean you have to pawn the most expensive item in your house and go buy someone a gift with that money. It's not about just money. According to psychologists, sacrifice is uh, not just about financial gain. It's about putting time aside that you would rather spend on yourself on someone else. That's what sacrifice is about. When it comes to sacrifice, what sacrifice did Jesus make? Philippians 2 verses 5 to 8 says, Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he'd come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. So in order for, for God to fulfill his plan of redemption, Jesus had to empty himself completely of his majesty and his glory. Now I've heard of the ant illustration. I think even Pastor Rob's used this, this uh, explanation just to get it into our heads what Jesus actually did. If you can imagine yourself as God 
And on the ground you see all these ants, busily running, busily doing all their work. And those ants were your creation, okay? So that's the magnitude of the difference between yourself and your creation. And you've been talking to the ants, you've been yell, you know, trying to get through to them, you've been trying to have a relationship with them, some of them have been listening, some of them have not represented you well, and you're thinking to yourself, how on earth are they going to know me? Well, the best way to, for them to know you is to be, become one of them. And that's effectively what Jesus did. He reduced himself, he humbled himself to become one of us, to become like his creation. John 10, 18 says, No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. You know, I imagine that God could have come up with a different plan. I think, well, why didn't God sort of create like a gift card, you know, a heaven's version of a gift card that he could have given to all of us when we were born? It says eternal life gift card. And then you can choose whether to redeem it or not. That will still give us free will to choose. You know, we could have received it and that wouldn't have created this whole dramatic story of a cross and resurrection, rejection. Why did we need to go through all of that? Well, there's two reasons why that wouldn't have worked, why God couldn't have just sent us a gift card. Firstly, it's impersonal and lacks intimacy. At the end of the day, what God cares about is relationship. He wants relationship with us. He wants us to see him as he truly is. He wants us to know what he's like. Alanis Morissette sang a song years ago called, you know, what if God was one of us? Well, God was one of us. And this New Testament describes what he's like. We've got eyewitness accounts describing what Jesus is like, seeing what Jesus did, seeing how, what he, how he reacted to certain situations, knowing what his character is like. He was one of us, so we can have relationship with him and know. The other reason why it probably wouldn't have worked is that the debt of sin had to be paid once and for all. You know, God is still a holy God and, and sin still needed to be, need, you know, God is a just God and it needed to be dealt with. And the only way it was going to be dealt with once and for all is for sinless blood to be shed. And there's only one that fits that criteria because we all have a sin nature and that's God himself. So needless to say, this gift contained pretty much extraordinary sacrifice. The last point of what makes a perfect gift is that the giver of a perfect gift wishes to please the recipient. And actually, can I have the, just someone on keyboard, please? You know, a perfect gift is not about having strings attached and expecting something in return. You know, have you ever given a gift to somebody and you kind of feel there's something connected to it, like they expect you to do something back or, you know, they're trying to control you in some way? Well, the perfect gift doesn't beg for reciprocation. It's not, I've given you this gift and I expect this in return. Because that's not a gift. That's a transaction. The perfect gift is about pleasing the recipient and allowing them to be free with the gift to do whatever they want with the gift. 
St. Thomas Aquinas, who was an Italian Dominican friar in the 13th century, he was also a philosopher and a theologian, he started the theology of gift giving and he believed that a gift can't be given with strings attached, that it shouldn't be disguised as some form of controlling another, but rather the, th- the freeing of the other to be able to enjoy it. In other words, the recipient is free, free to enjoy the gift or not. So how does the gift of Christ measure up? Are we obliged to receive the gift he gives us? Are we made to feel guilty if we don't? Well, I certainly have met Christians who make us, who've made others feel guilty for not receiving a gift. And I don't think that's what God wants. Ultimately, what God wants is for people to be free to choose. And, you know, choose to reject the gift if they don't want it. John 1, 11, verses 11 to 12 says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name. The gift of Christ is a free gift that is given to all, and we can choose to engage with that gift or not. Christ is perfectly gracious and loving in allowing us to choose what we want to do with it. So overall, I I believe Christ is the perfectly observed, planned, sacrificial gift. He's a gift that allows us to choose whether we want to enjoy it or not. But like all good gifts, it's also wrapped up. You know, I love unwrapping a gift and discovering what's underneath the paper. And when you truly receive the gift of Christ, what you end up unwrapping is far more than you thought or imagined. You know, I never knew by receiving Christ that I would receive forgiveness, grace, joy, peace that the world can't give. There was all these things as I go deeper and deeper with this walk with Christ. There are things that I get to enjoy. It's almost the gift that keeps on giving. But what I truly believe this morning, what blesses the, the, the giver of the gift is seeing someone enjoy it. You get something out of it, don't you? When you give a gift to someone, you can see that they're enjoying it. It really blesses them. Well, this morning I pray that if you have received Jesus, you've been walking with Jesus for a while, that this Christmas you can find a very simple and creative way to show him how much you're enjoying that gift. Because I think sometimes we can take it for granted. We can forget that this is about Jesus and what he's given to us. And just, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be even just a simple prayer where you spend time with him and you thank him. You show him your gratitude in the gift that he's given to you. Let's pray. Now I ask every eye to be closed. Father, I just thank you that you gave us your son. And with that comes so much, so much, Lord God, so much that we can't even imagine, that we're still exploring in that gift. 
Lord, I just pray for anyone here this morning that um, maybe they've just been uh, caught up in busyness and the stresses of this world and uh, they've forgotten what's in the gift of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, peace, true joy, grace. Lord God, I pray this morning that we come closer to you at this Christmas time, that we can draw near and know your presence more and more. And we thank you for all you have done for us this morning, Lord God. We, we just give you thanks from our hearts. And while every head is bowed and every eye shut, I would like to just give an opportunity for anyone in this place to receive the gift. Maybe you have never received the gift of Jesus. You, you know Christmas is about Jesus, but you haven't fully understood what that means. All it means is that you can have all you've ever done wrong, forgiven, washed clean, but most importantly, you can be restored back into relationship with your maker. The person who has known you, knitted you, created you, inspired you, you can have a relationship with God Almighty through the person of Jesus Christ. And so I'd love to pray for anyone here this morning. If you'd like to receive this gift, I'm just giving opportunity. You don't have to feel obligated. Um, we don't want that. But if you'd like that, all you need to do right now is raise your hand and it would be my honour to pray a prayer for you. Is there anyone here this morning who'd like to receive the gift of Jesus? Yeah, I see your hand. Beautiful. Anyone else like to join this one person who'd love, who'd love to receive the gift? It is the most amazing gift. Okay, well, I'm going to ask you all to stand and we're going to say this prayer together. And for the person who raised their hand, you can say this from your heart. Follow me. Heavenly Father, I have been lost. I have gone my own way. And I haven't always done right. I ask you, Lord, that you would give me your son as a gift. I ask that Jesus would be my Lord, that you would wash me clean and that you would set my feet on a new path. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I may know you and sense your presence. I thank you, Lord, for the gift of Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wonderful.